The following podcast is a proud member of the Blue Collar Roots Network. Find all the shows by visiting bluecollarroots.com. Think of this show in this way. Rush Limbaugh and Howard Stern had a child, and that child grew up to have a podcast about building science. This is the opposite of that. Here's Bill Spohn. Welcome back to another episode of the Building HVAC Science Podcast. It's our goal here to create better, more knowledgeable HVAC and building performance technicians, primarily by helping the two professions better understand each other with the ultimate goal of making customers happy, healthy, and safe in the homes they live in and the buildings they work in. Today's topic really revolves around the safety aspect. I came to know Ellis Prash back in the late 1990s through his traveling classes when I was a design engineering manager at Backrack. Later in 2000, when I was with Testo, I contacted him as we had just started to market a new visual inspection scope based on plastic fiber optics. Yes, the Testo view, if you remember that. You see, I've been obsessed for years with trying to solve the problem of more thorough inspections of heat exchangers, and who better to talk to than the heat exchanger expert? Well, his first reaction was, well, less than warm to the concept because he had sort of his own way of doing things. However, our relationship blossomed into a true friendship as our families got to know each other. In the last few years, Ellis has handed over the reins of his HVAC and heat exchanger class business, both businesses, to his very capable sons, Chris and Russell. Listen in as we discuss the important processes they use for their customers, including the discussions centered around these important phrases, no guessing. We try to make the equipment last longer than us. The number one cause of heat exchanger failure, and the class reveals all in the book. There are links to their website in the show notes, where you can also buy their book, and we also sell the book at TrueTech Tools. There's a contact form also in the show notes to find out more about their classes and where they're located, and if you can bring one into your area. Their classes like nothing else you've ever seen. If you attend, you'll never forget it. So let's listen in for our discussion on the Heat Exchanger Expert story with Chris and Russell Prash. How you guys doing? Good. Doing good. How are you doing? Good. People might not be familiar with your names, but they might be familiar with what you do. So why don't you tell me what you do, what training do you do out there coast to coast in the U.S.? So Chris and I, we train from basically from California to New York, and we go on tour from August till November. And my dad had started this company, it's Heat Exchanger Experts, probably about 30 years ago doing training and started with hauling around five to 10 furnaces. And in a year, we'd maybe do five to 10 classes. And now Chris and I were doing about 50 to 55 classes a year. When we go on tour, we do about 40 to 45 and we're pretty well booked every year from August to November and we haul around about 50 to 60 full furnaces intact. We take the blowers out because it's easier to load and unload and it's also lighter on our trailer and then we take about 50 to 60 heat exchangers ranging from clamshells from the 50s to 90s and then Everything that's been built in the last 20 years, serpentines and tubulars. 
So easier on your backs too. Yes, very. Because I've seen you guys load and unload and it is, wow, it's pretty mammoth activity there. You also have a book too? Yeah, our dad started writing this book. I think the first edition he wrote was probably about 25 years ago and started same things, just about 20 pages because that's really all the heat exchangers that he had at the time and that's all the knowledge he had at the time. And now our book is... probably like 120 pages, 130 front and back. We're actually in the works of coming out with an app that is going to have our book. And then we've been working on extra pictures and videos of just simple things like how to take out a blower and look at a heat exchanger. It's really surprising how many guys don't pull blowers. Yeah, a lot of shortcuts just to help guys make their jobs easier and to see... Because that's one thing is we do travel for those three months and we do our classes. But the rest of the year, we're running a heating in our shop here in Windsor, Colorado. And it's kind of nice because we do a lot of trainings or we to go to trainings. And there's guys who aren't in the field as often that haven't been seeing. What, we know what it's like when you have to get in an attic and crawl around for three days when it's 100 degrees out. Or when you got to get in a crawl space, pull a blower out and then have unfriendly conversations with customers and stuff like that. So you play dual role. You walk the talk of what you ask people to do Try to. when they do the inspection. Yeah. Because you've been there and you do it every year. You go back and you do the contracting bit. Yes. So I met your dad, I think it was like 1999 when I was working with Testo and we came up or maybe it was 2000, came up with this visual inspection scope. And I always knew that inspecting heat exchangers was an important thing to do. And I know mirrors were used and other things like that. In fact, do you guys still make the long mirror? The long? Yeah, we do. Those furnaces that it's mainly for clamshell type furnaces and those are going out of style. So we make less and less of them every year and we sell less of them every year. But we still use them every now and then. We still use them. I still carry it. You don't know what you're going to run into. It's a big world of many types and ages of blowers out there or furnaces. So this visual inspection scope, originally he poo-pooed it. Yeah. <laughs> I, I sent him one and he's like, no, no way. No, isn't going to work. Can't work. But I think visual scopes have come a long way since then, since 2000. I mean, it's 22 years. Do you use any in the work you do, like some of the new video scopes and things like that? We honestly, it's funny because like when we do our classes, we just use lights and mirrors because we want guys to get familiar with how to hold a mirror. And there's times more often than not, that's all you're going to be able to look at a furnace with sometimes is just a light and a mirror because there just is no other option. But we use lights and mirrors. We use combustion analyzers. We use scopes. And whatever is going to make our job easier at the end of the day, we're going to use that. But if I go in there and I'm looking at a furnace and I'm using a camera and I'm not really getting anywhere with it or I can't get to the right spots, then I'm going to start using a light and a mirror. If I can't get in there with a light and a mirror and there's some tall tale signs that the heat exchangers failed, age or installation, you just sometimes pulling out the faceplate of the coil and just looking at the heat exchanger and just seeing how scorched it is, that's an indicator right there to keep going further. And if I can't get in there with anything, then I'm going up to the customer and I'm asking them if it's okay if I pull the heat exchanger out and I'm looking at it. And sometimes we charge for that. Sometimes we don't. It just depends on the unit. It depends on 
sometimes we just put our combustion analyzer in the flue and that fails it right there and we're done. So we have all those tools with us at all times. And it's funny because that's what we start is we start the tour in August because everybody's starting their furnace PMs. Oh yeah. But my combustion analyzer, I don't take it out of my truck. I use that almost every single day. The only reason I don't use it is because a customer is not letting me in the house and looking at the unit and I'm there for an air conditioning call. And I've even, I've been called out on that before where customers are saying, I'm not here for you to look at the furnace, but there might be something there that I'm looking at. That's like right off the bat. Well, that doesn't look safe to me. There's different classes. Like you mentioned, the clamshells going out of style. Can you walk through the major classes of heat exchangers that have come about and where we stand today? Yeah, it started out with gravities and we still are even just a month and a half, two months ago, maybe a little longer, a guy called us out for an estimate and it was a gravity style heat exchanger, a gravity style furnace, and it was still good. It was still running. It was from 1901. And those are big, big jobs to replace. And guy ended up when we walked out, he's like, you know, it's part of the house. He's like, I want to keep it. I'm like, yeah, you should. It's cool. But it's, it's inefficient, but it's super, super <laughs> inefficient. Yeah. But then it started moving on to where they started putting sidekicks on those furnaces and they'd add a blower and then you'd have that forced air. So that's where you get those giant returns in the house. Sometimes you see them in those houses that are built in like the early 1900s up to like 1950. And those are nice. This is good. You want that big duct work. But then you start to get to where they start building those furnaces with a blower. And you'll start to see where even the, some of the furnaces we carry, the returns were made much smaller. Whereas like the gravities, you have this massive return. You have these massive trunk lines because you need that gravity. But once they started going to blowers, you can tell that a lot of guys were like, well, now we got a blower. So now we can get smaller ductwork. And that's not really how it was supposed to be. Because you could still see on those older furnaces where the manufacturers would have a stamp on the side of the return to say, cut this big. And you'd have a hole this big and there'd be a spot for it 16 by 20 or whatever. So then when they stopped making those clamshells, it was like in the 90s, Lennox is one of the last ones to make. It was a whisper heat <laughs> and they were one of the last ones to make it. And then you still have some drum type furnaces that are being made today, like trailer homes. Those are pretty prevalent in modular homes. And then they started in the late 80s, 90s everybody started making serpentine type chambers depending on what you're looking at there there could be a lot of problems just from the manufacturer but most of the problems are from the install and you'll see some serpentines where they're 15 20 years old and they still have a good heat exchanger because they have lots of airflow and just to add those clamshell heat exchangers those are just two pieces of metal that are welded together those serpentine heat exchangers they're starting to just press them together and there's more a directed path for the heat, the gases to travel through in the heat exchanger. So you could get a little, they're a little more efficient. You weren't dumping so much heat out the flue stack. And then, yeah, at the same time, they're making those serpentines. They started to make tubular type heat exchangers. That's what everybody's seems to be moving towards today, but there's still serpentines out there. But if you read in installation manuals, like I think Carrier Bryant, they say clamshell type heat exchanger. But the way we look at it, it's a serpentine. So yeah. So you guys actually read manuals, huh? 
Yeah, it's funny because <laughs> equipment changes, especially now. Every year, it's changing. Every month. Yeah, it seems like every month. And it's you have to read the manuals on everything. Otherwise, just a small mistake. I still see like Lennox furnaces. There's a shipping bolt in the blower. And when you take that out, it gives it a little bit of movement. So when that blower kicks on, I don't know how many houses I see where that shipping bolt's still in there. And it says it right in the beginning of the manual, take the bolt out. But certain little things like that, that it's like, when I'm with my customer, we just show them like, look, this is what the book says. This isn't what's done. There's a neighborhood where we live just right here in Windsor. A lot of neighborhoods, Carrier's pretty popular out here. That's what they're building. Like most of the new builds, they put Carrier in. Carrier puts in their manuals to run two pipes on the high efficient units. You got your intake and your flu. I don't think I've seen two pipes ran in any of those houses, not any of the new builds. And that's the kind of stuff that like when they pull those permits and everything, the home inspectors, they're going in there too with the idea of just what the code is. But then you have the, what the manufacturer says and the manufacturer supersedes whatever the code is if it's more strict. and we see so many problems like that to where it's like, just because we're in a brand new home doesn't mean we're not going to find any kind of problems. It's like now more than ever, we're finding more problems in the newer houses than we are in the older houses. Like we'll see clamshell units still good. They're 40, 50 years old and they're still running. They're great. They're doing great. They might have a bad blower or whatever. And that's why we're there and customers want to upgrade it. But this one neighborhood, we've changed out three heat exchangers and one furnace that have all been under eight years old because they have holes in them the size of golf balls because the ductwork is all undersized. They're running on limit and central return and nobody knows what maintenance is. There's a lot of new homeowners and it's not their fault, but they don't know how to take care of their furnace and that it should be maintained. And it's crazy. We see a lot of that. You actually started to talk about typical failures and then the causes for the failures. Maybe get into that a little bit, just kind of, kind of an overview. Sometimes it's a combination of everything, but airflow is always the number one reason why they fail or it being overfired and having too much gas pressure. And that's pretty rare, honestly, but it does happen. But most of the time it's airflow. Yeah, installation and maintenance. And there's a lot behind installation, like the design of it. You get a lot of people who just pull out the furnace or air conditioner and they put the exact same thing in and coil, condenser, furnace, whatever it may be. And it's oversized or guys who go off the square footage of the home. And it's like, we're looking at ductwork and things like that. Installation, there's a lot behind the design and then the actual install. It's just so important. And then after that, you can have a nice, great install, but if you don't change the filter on it, that's going to have problems. And a lot of just the quality control of commissioning things when you start it up, the smallest things like gas pressure. We talk to so many techs around the country and we meet a lot of techs who are young and just getting into it. And they're working for these big shops and they're touching a lot of furnaces and they're coming up to us they're like, how do you check gas pressure? And that's something that we're starting to incorporate more and we're adding in the book and stuff like that. Like, guys, check gas pressure. Here's how we do it. If you don't know how to do it, you got to learn how to do it. And then, yeah, installation, maintenance. I think those are the most important things. Before I forget, where can people find out more? 
about the book, the classes, whatever? It's tough because like our website, it's heatexchangerexperts.com and you can order the book from us. If you want to take the class, when we go on tour, you'll see our schedule online. And what's tough is we're trying to hit everywhere that we possibly can. We're usually going to like the bigger cities and hopefully we're close by to you because what i notice is when we go on tour is that we don't go into a lot of smaller areas if it's a hundred thousand people in that town we're probably not going to be doing a class there it's not practical yeah and what sometimes on our schedule you'll see we have open classes and then we have closed classes the closed ones are heating air companies that hire us in they want just their guys trained and then the open classes are Sometimes they're distributors or they're some association that will hire us in and then have a lot of little contractors get in. And that's the thing. We, Chris and I, it's my mom still works with us. She does all of our service calls and she takes all the calls and she does all the billing and everything like that. And then we got about three other guys that work with us full time. We're still a very small company and we like that because we do everything. We do all the maintenance, we do all the installs, we do all the estimates, all the sales, we do boilers, and we're very meticulous. So if I sell a job or if Chris sells a job, then we're the ones that install it and we're the ones that are there to make sure everything goes as smooth as possible because like the small things. And if something's broken on Super Bowl Sunday, we're the ones going out there (laughs) to fix it. We're not sending, but that's kind of the way we like to operate that. Yeah. For us too, it's like when we go on the road and we start to teach, we're in a whole nother mindset. That's a whole different game almost. Like it's hard because we go on the road, but used to be we'd go for three months straight. We wouldn't come home because we wanted to get it done. And now we both have our families and we come home maybe for a couple of days a month and that's all the time we really have. And then we got to get back out there and start doing it. And we love doing this and very fortunate to do it. But I think that's what shows in our work from our installing to our training is that if we don't know, we try to find the answer. We don't just guess. And that's the problem is there's a lot of guys that do this, that it's just another job. and. It's just not the way to look at it because it's such an important job. To me, I feel like furnace and AC is the most important part about your house. If you don't have that, you don't have pipes that aren't going to freeze. You're in a tent. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) Exactly. And I love that. That's what we love to do. And so when we go on the road, it's a lot of what we train is what we've learned and what we've been taught. And my dad, he has 11 kids all together, and every one of us are in the heating and air business one way or the other. And we've all learned from each other and taught each other. And my dad, especially, just got us all into this. And I don't know if it's for his own benefit at the time or for our benefit, but it worked out for everybody. So mutual is mutual. So we're very lucky. But can you walk me through like what a typical class looks like? How long does it last? What are the different stages and segments that you do? We pretty much, well, usually we show up the day before or the morning of unload all of our equipment because we drive a semi around. And once everything's ready for the class, we pretty much open up, tell people about our dad because obviously he's the one 
who got us into this and he's the reason we do it. And then we just jump right into it, talk about why furnaces fail, how they fail, and how to prevent them from failing. And one of our things we have, our goal is to make equipment last longer than us. And that's what we bring on the road. So we start with the oldest furnaces, how they made those heat exchangers, what kind of metal they're using, what coatings they may have been using at different times or today. The way that those chambers are made and bent and whatnot are reasons of why they fail. And it can go from anything to the way that the blower slides in the bottom of the furnace to diverter plates they put on top of the heat exchanger or coils on top of it. And then we go into how once they started to induce draft furnaces, because that was the new improved thing. And then a lot of the time when guys come to class, they, I feel like they always are like, well, what about 90%? So I want to learn about 90%ers. And it's like, there's nothing different between a 90% furnace and 80% furnace. There might be a couple extra parts and one's a little more efficient than the other. There's water in one, but it's just metal to us. So we just talk about how everything's manufactured and made. A lot of the time, names jump back and forth between different companies and manufacturers, but it might look like a Duquesne one year and a Lennox the next year, but it's still the same. It's just metal to us. And then, yeah, by the end of the class, we just talk about how we do combustion analysis. Back in the day when our dad was doing the class, he was old school. He liked the old school methods of, and that's one thing we really have learned the newer, the more we're in the future and the technology is just, it's there today. So we use Whatever instrument we can, we talk about removing heat exchangers, talk about customer interaction too, because that was one thing my dad, he's, if anybody's ever met my dad or he's hard to forget, but he's very A type and he tells it how it is. And if anything, he wants to get in a confrontation and he was good at handling those kind of situations. And a lot of feedback we'd get where people are like, we find a lot of failed heat exchangers, but man, we get a lot of irate customers. And so that's kind of the thing too, is we talk about how to just talking to people and how being delicate with certain situations. But the number one thing about it is safety. We love, and just heating and air and just how we love that. That's pretty awesome. I never thought about that aspect. I sat through one of your dad's classes, but it was like 15 years ago. So I don't remember the customer relations aspect. <laughs> His was different. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> sounds like you're pretty much in a mode where you do this year after year. Has anything gotten in your way of executing? Like, did COVID make a difference? Yeah. I mean, a little bit did. We're very, very fortunate that when the first tour that we did during COVID, that we were still able to go on the road and do, we only did about 20-something classes. It was, everything was cut in half, basically. And there was a lot of protocols that we had to abide by, like when we were doing classes and couldn't rent out rooms, did a couple of them outside, which we've done, but it's not ideal. And the following year, all that happened is that a lot of guys that didn't get a hold of us the first time around, they got us the second time. And this year, I think we're still even playing catch up on that. So it was a little unfortunate with that. The, literally the only class that we've ever had to cancel was one that we had in December, January in here in Loveland, which is just right next to Windsor. And it was like below 20 and the diesel in our truck froze and we couldn't drive our furnaces to like 10 miles to where we needed to go. 
we've never canceled a class. And that's the fun part about being on the road that nobody sees is when we have a filter, a fuel filter clog up and not start or else we're going 30 miles down the highway because it's clogged and we have to get 10 hours somewhere. (laughs) And the things that we have to do on the fly, like, hey, we got to find somewhere to fix this. And I feel like every time we're trying to get something done, we're telling the people like, hey, we'll pay you extra. And this is the most important thing that you have to do right now. And we're begging and we're always really fortunate to find people to help us that are like in a service industry and I think they know how it goes so we're always able to get right back on the road and get going but every year when we take off it's like all right what's going to happen this year something's going to happen we just have to make it work so on the road we've never canceled a class and I've been on the road with my dad for this will be my 21st year going on the road with him and Chris too I think he's been now like 15 years or so and we make a point to if we make a commitment and somebody hires us we're going to be there so what do you foresee in the app is that a dream or is it something you're working on or we're working on it right now it's already it's developed we're just working on bugs and stuff like that and content but the book our book we meet guys when we travel and train and they're like man I've had this book for 10 years or whatever. And now it really makes sense since I came to your class or whatever. And a lot of the younger generation coming into the industry, they don't like books as much. And when I even see them, when I give them the book in class, they look at it like, really? So everything's getting more technological. We're trying to make it easier. You can pull up a model number and it can pull up numbers. There's a few apps out there that help our industry that already do that. And so we're just trying to make everybody's jobs easier. One thing too, is we get a lot of not we, Russell, he's the one who gets calls when from techs all around the country throughout the year where it's like, hey, I'm on this furnace and he helps them out with it. But it would really be nice if they had an app or something like that. So that's just, I feel like where we're going with that. Yeah, we're trying. One thing is say you're on a ream tubular type furnace, then we're going to have pictures of where the most common failures are in that type of heat exchanger. And then we're going to have a video or just slideshow pictures on how to remove the heat exchanger because that's one thing that we get a lot in class is guys will say you guys talk a lot about removing heat exchangers like i've been doing it 10 years i've never pulled a heat exchanger before how do you do that and i feel like that's kind of like a mechanic it's just like pulling screws out putting them back in turning your wrench yeah sometimes you just got to go for it and just do it and you get better and better at it and then you stop breaking things when you're trying to do stuff and you just know how to take certain things apart or leave certain parts on and take something out. And it's just like a mechanic not knowing how to pull a transmission out. That'd be ridiculous. And there's so many, (laughs) there's a lot of heating and air guys that we talk to that when we talk, the first thing we talk about in class is like one of our company protocol. It's like, if you're working with us, if you go and do a service call and you're going in the house, you're pulling the blower. It doesn't matter what you're there for. You're pulling the blower because you're going to see blower wheels dirty. That causes airflow issues. If it's a 90 percenter, you'll see the secondary is dirty. That causes airflow issues. You don't pull the blower. You don't see that. You'll see some high efficient units fail at the secondary. And that's super important to know on certain furnaces. So you have to pull the blower and look at that. And when we start the class, we say like 99% of the time you're pulling the blower and you just see guys just go, oh, And it's like, what do you guys do? I don't get it. And I just think sometimes that a lot of guys are rushed. That's a big problem in our industry is that Chris and I, we try to get 
for us and our guys, no more than three calls a day. And that's hard. Like right now, it is so hard. We're turning people away or we're telling them, hey, it's six weeks till we're going to get out there because we can't even find quality help right now. It's hard. It's just hard. So I get it because what some companies do is they have their guys running seven to 10 calls a day sometimes. And they're working the same hours that we're working with three. And they're like, how do you guys do all of this in 30 minutes? And it's like, we're doing a lot in like three hours. Sometimes it takes 30 minutes to pull a blower. Yeah. Sometimes it takes 30 minutes just to talk to the customer and see what's going on. Sometimes you walk in and you got somebody, it's like, yep, furnace is down there. And then sometimes you got somebody that they just want to pull the chair up yeah. and sits down next to you. Yeah. Yeah. yeah and they're there. Yeah. <laughs> in conclusion here, what would you recommend somebody who's listening to this do? First off, I guess, if you're servicing furnaces, because that's really your focus, what would you recommend the steps they take, including your class, including your book, but some other things some really basic ground level stuff they should do. You started to mention there about pulling the blower. So just give me a summary of what people should do walking away from this. When I'm going on just a normal clean and safety and somebody just wants me to just clean and safety check the furnace, then, or some guys call it clean and check, whatever. We're pulling out the blower. For us, it's extra depending on how dirty the blower is, like the blower wheel. Sometimes I'm going to replace the blower wheel because it's so dirty that there is no just clean in it. We clean that, pull the burners on everything. Before we even touch the furnace, we do a combustion check on it before we do anything. Because we're trying to prove to the customer the value of the call at the same time. You hear a lot of guys, we'll hear it too. The customer will say, well, last guy that was here last year didn't do this. Yeah. And what's taking so long? Yeah. What's <laughs> So that's what we're, and that's a compliment too. And that's what we want to hear. But we're pulling burners after the fact, after we do a combustion check, pulling blower, we're cleaning the entire furnace. Literally, if it can pull out and we can clean it, that's what we're doing. And then we're putting everything back together. As that blower is out, that's when we're checking the heat exchanger. And honestly, it's surprising. There's a lot of guys that they don't know even what a heat exchanger looks like, but they'll get under there. If they do that, if they get under there and just look and just use common sense, like, yeah, this thing looks like it's been scorched. It looks like it's been through hell. Then I'm going to look further. Or I'm going to feel around. There's guys that don't know anything about it. And just, we've talked to them that were they're like, yeah, we've been doing it for a couple of months, pulled a blower. I reached up and I felt this giant crack on the side of the furnace. And it's just because he was just getting in there and just doing the work. And one thing I also like to add, I just think the rating plate on the furnace, that's one of the most important things for newer guys. If they want to pick up anything from this, it's look at that rating plate. It's going to tell you what your gas pressure should be set at for high and low, or if it's just single stage. It's going to tell you what your static pressure should be at, which is almost impossible to get usually, but we want to get as close to that static as we can. And then it's going to tell us what our temperature rise is. And that temperature rise is so important. It's going to tell you what 35 to 65 degree temperature rise. We're just doing a difference. It's a delta T, doing a difference between the return and supply. And when any of those numbers are off, that's a red flag. That's bad news. And we want to investigate and we're going to fix that. Yeah. 
almost every call two we're taking just the faceplate of the coil off and i'll just take a couple screws out of the delta plate that's where the cameras really come in handy is just going in there just looking at the coil if the coil's clogged full of hair and dirt and it's different in different parts of the country like more humid spots you get a lot more of like a grimier stickier debris whereas like where we're from it's a lot dustier it's a lot drier or you're looking at downflows so it's not as easy just to pop in there like an upflow is yeah Yeah. downflows are very difficult to look at or just to work on in general but just small things like that we're just making sure that there's free flowing air just like i had mentioned we found a lot of carriers that are five to eight years old that are with golf ball size holes there's a reason for that it was all install and maintenance I've also seen those exact same heat exchangers that they've been making since 2013. And on the 80%ers, they've been making them since like 2004, 2003. They're still good if they're installed correctly and they're maintained. It's like sometimes we find one-year-old furnaces with cracks in them. And there is a reason that they're there. It's not because of the manufacturer. And that's the other thing is we don't take sides or look at anybody different than the other they're all made basically the same with the same thickness of metal. And at the end of the day, you can make the best furnace on the market crack in a year and you can make the worst furnace last 10 years. It just depends on how they're installed. If it's installed the way that they want it installed, then it's probably going to last. Yeah. I think people should think about your training more. And it's actually the title of the book is residential furnace inspection manual. It's about residential furnace inspection. Your tagline is heat exchanger experts with all the variety out there, but you're talking about the process of residential furnace inspection. That's what the takeaway, to put the title on the takeaway, what you just said here, is really take your time to do a proper inspection. You're going to have a happier customer, equipment that lasts longer, and a better reputation for your company too. Yeah. And like Chris said, our number one thing, it really is safety. And You look at 100 furnaces that are all cracked, probably 99 of them aren't going to be leaking CO. But that one that does, it's a scary situation. That's trouble. That's trouble. It's trouble for the company. It's trouble for the individual, for the customers. And that's where we really stress is that you can't rush because you can't miss that. So how does somebody get a hold of 100 heat exchangers? We also crawl through a lot of junk piles when we travel the country and we go to a lot, we'll see warranty trailers and a bunch of heat exchangers in there. We start jumping in there and we'll swap out some old ones for new ones. Yeah. Got it. Got it. Makes sense. <laughs> I mean, and probably the contractors you're training, you put the plug in there. Yep. Oh yeah. Got anything out back, right? Yep. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. Nice. 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 Guys, it was great talking to you. Great catching up. Hopefully you'll come out our way and I'll get a chance to see you in person here. I'll be looking at your schedule next. I'll be sure to put the website and the schedule link inside the show notes, which everybody can go to after they listen to this, but it's heatexchangerexperts.com. You'll see it right there. The website's really easy to navigate. Awesome. Yeah. Thanks a lot, Bill. Yeah. Thanks for having us. Thanks for listening into this episode of the Building HVAC Science Podcast in our discussion with Chris and Russell of Heat Exchanger Experts. There are other trade-related resources and influences out there, including the HVACR School, HVAC's Shop Talk, Stephen Reardon's YouTube channel, HVAC Reefer Guy, The Tool Pros, Service Business Mastery, Quality HVAC, HVAC Overtime, HVACR Videos, 
and HomeDiagnosis.tv, which is the first TV show on home performance. And of course, Jim Bergman's work, and you'll see a lot of it on the MeasureQuick YouTube channel. I also host the ResTalk podcast if you want to learn more about home energy ratings and peripheral topics. If you'd like to reach out and get in touch with me, please drop an email to me at bill at truetechtools.com. And some of the topics we discuss require technical training for proper interpretation or safe execution. So if you're a trained pro, then you can go right ahead. If you're not, please consult with and hire a pro. The Building HVAC Science Podcast is a production of True Tech Tools Limited. Until next time.